Welcome to the show. We hope you have a blast. Thanks for making time for the Dealer Talk Podcast. Another business leader, here's a penny for your thoughts. This ain't a regular conversation, baby. This that Dealer Talk. Yeah, this that Dealer Talk. What up? Welcome to another episode of the Dealer Talk Podcast. This is your host, Herb Anderson. Um, we are trying out our new platform here, uh, which is Riverside. So apologies in advance, but we're going to plow through this because that's what we do here. What's up, Charity? How you doing? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing good. Happy podcasting. Try out this new thing. It's weird not to have the ang- the camera control thing. I'm sure there's a way to do it here. We just haven't figured it out. I knew that that was going to be the first thing that you noticed. But they do oh. have some cool stuff. Like we can do this now. I can't see what you're doing. Oh, you can't hear it, huh? They have the the sound box, and you can put like drum roll and. You know, clapping. But mm. that must be because you're on the. I'm on the guest side, and you're on the. The boss. No, but I thought you could hear it. Maybe it's something side. that when we download the episode, like those noises will be there. But anyway, I don't know. We will get used to this, and get better and better at it. Um. So today is our last episode officially for season seven um and we're gonna talk about season eight here in, in a little bit but before that how was your holidays getting back into the swing of things yeah holidays were good my kids were with me the whole month so that was nice um we yeah. actually didn't even put up a christmas tree this year how come mm, they didn't want to it's just the three of us so we just hung out Awesome. When I first got divorced, my kids wanted to do, you know, our first like Christmas together. They wanted to do spooky Christmas. So we had like a Halloween-esque type of a Christmas, which is kind of cool, I have to say. But, do you have pictures? Um, I don't know. I'm sure I have some around. But it was a really small tree. It was, you know, maybe like this big or something. <laughs> That's my problem is that I have like a a little tree it's like three feet tall or something and i never get a new one and so every year we're like ah, i forgot we had that one <laughs> right on yeah. you should send me a picture and i'll put it in the thing so everybody can see your spooky halloween yeah if i can find one <laughs> um what about for new year's do you do anything so um we're huge lord of the rings fans and by we, I mean me. And then I make them uh-huh. watch it with me. And so we binge watched the Rings of Power. And then they were annoyed with me by the end because I was explaining everything to them. <laughs> is, that the, is that the new series? Yeah, it is. Okay. Some Lord of the Rings people really don't like the series, but I liked it. You think it's good? Yeah. Worthy? But if you're going with like your... Sticking to canon, it it breaks away from the can. You know, if we start talking about this, you're going to really discover what a nerd I am. So we don't have to keep going. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> it breaks away from the canon a lot. And they add characters into the TV show that aren't actually characters in the books anywhere. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, that's that's not good unless the the introductions make it better. But I think hard. it makes it better. 
those those it's always hard to do that with with mm -hmm. those long series because you can't when you're doing a movie man you just can't pack everything in there well and then for lord of the rings the fan base is so big that when they made the lord of the rings movies they actually um invested a lot of time into talking to people within the fan base to make sure they were getting it right right on very cool see it tells you that <laughs> we could talk about something other than lord of the rings we watched all of them it was fun and then my i posted a picture on my instagram because I, we were sitting there eating cookies and i looked over and my my daughter was using this cup and i was like thanks for stealing my mug there kid <laughs> Very cool. What Very did you cool. do? Um, I went, uh, I took a trip with my girlfriend. We went to Paraguay. She's from there. Uh, and it's our second year doing it. And it was amazing. I really like it there. I haven't been able to go back home to Venezuela in like since 2010. Because I don't have the the paperwork and all the embassies are closed. And it's just a mess. So, uh, being able to go to Paraguay has been amazing. It's uh, very similar. There's a lot of similarities in the culture and just the way things look and just the vibe and all that. So, it was really cool. It feels like going home. Yeah, almost. Yeah, for sure. That's and funny. her family is like super um, Close. inviting and welcoming. And that's, that's nice, you know. Um, but yeah, it was, would it, uh, it was so personal question. Would it be dangerous to go to Venezuela for you? Well, I can't get in. So hypothetically, um, but yeah, I think anybody that goes to Venezuela right now, there, it, there's look anywhere you go, there's going to be danger, right? It doesn't matter. Like I took, I traveled a bunch of places, especially when I had my export company and I got robbed at Rio one time like out of all places. It was the only time I've ever had any issues. So it's like stuff can happen anywhere, you know? But um, Venezuela's going through a lot of challenging times. So, um, yeah. When I was I researching, when I was looking at um, news for today, I was reading, and you know how they they arrested the cartel guy's son the other day. Did you read that in the oh, news? Oh, yeah, yeah, Chapo's yeah. son. Well, apparently they there was a gunfight at an airport in Mexico. And so there was this plane, a commercial plane, full of tourists that was trying to take off. And then the military landed and got into a shootout and the plane got shot and they were trying to get all of these tourists out of the way of the whole thing. <laughs> and I was like, wow. So yeah, not fun. No. <laughs> Got a little Go to Mexico. Me. They said, <laughs> yeah, I love Mexico. Um, so yeah, but I mean, stuff can happen anywhere, man. So if you're going to not travel because of that, then don't go to Vegas. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. <laughs> um, all right. So today's a special one. It's the last episode of season or yeah, the last episode of season seven. Um, this season has been uh, a, just a different take on the show altogether. We went with long format 
you know, close to two hours. You know, I think our, our average episode was an hour and 45 minutes. Um, we introduced some segments. Uh, you know, we did the blog post. We did the, the automotive news section. I like the vibe of it. I really enjoyed it. Um, it it kind of keeps us sharp, you mm-hmm. know, and looking looking at things more closely for the show and, and then obviously for, for what we do professionally. But uh, and then we obviously we had a new, we had a we had a charity as a co-host, so I'm super interested in hearing people's feedback on it. Um, but what did you think about the season, Charity? I liked it a lot. Um, I've learned a ton this year, um, not just about podcasting and you know producing a podcast, but um, about the industry that I work in and that's been that's been amazing I've, I loved that part of it um yeah I like it I like what I do I do <laughs> see it's it's funny because uh, I you know I started this or how do I say it I didn't realize that until the first season that we did, but exactly what you're saying right now. And then, then it became it became a um, a selfish project for me because the more people I have on and the different topics that we covered, the more I learned, um, and the more I was able to apply that uh, to my day to day. So I'm glad that you that you're having that same experience. What did you think about the format? Do you think that it's too long? Do you like the way it's going? Or what do you think about? Like, well, definitely feel? that's a selfish thing for me. Um, I think that it's a longer format and putting the news in, if we decide to record and then we don't post the episode for a minute, then the news, we have to find news that isn't time sensitive, but finding news in and of itself, that aspect of it has taught me tons about the industry. Like I would have, I wonder how many people that are in the automotive industry actually read the automotive, any kind of automotive news, you know, I mean, obviously you've got your like decision makers that do, but outside of that. And I think that that's the other thing that I've learned is, this I've always been very very like I have my job and I go to my job every day and I and I do my job and I go home and then the more that I've been on here and the more that I've talked with you I realize that my job is like just that I if you understand why your job exists you are more capable of achieving the goals needed to succeed in your job that's what I learned this year yeah, and well, the, the, there's a professionalism of it too. Like any, I th- and if this is, doesn't apply for the automotive space only, but I think any career that you're in, you should always be learning. Mm-hmm. Like the learning should never stop. For sure. Especially in the in the in the um, fast-paced world that we live in today. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, like if you're not constantly consuming information about this industry or any industry for that matter i think that you're um you're at a disadvantage and if you are then that's an advantage because most people don't mm-hmm. so um 
And it and the other thing it depends on your level of commitment. And you know, I was watching this movie yesterday called Hustle with Adam Sandler, and there's a scene in there where he's talking to his this prospect that he brought from Spain, and um, very talented basketball player, but he he had this tryout or whatever, and he didn't perform well, and so the guy was kind of down, ready to quit and go home or whatever. And, and Adam Sandler's character was like, you know, he just asked him straight up, do you love this game? Do you, are you, do you live and breathe this game? Are you obsessed? And he used that word, are you, are you obsessed? And it got me thinking that's such a powerful thing to be in whatever aspect or career rather you're in. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he said that the the character said obsession beats talent every time. So I think if you're obsessed with what you do, then you'll never stop learning that thing. You'll always be consuming information about it. You'll always be learning about it. And um, that's why I like podcasts too, because it's a form of consuming information and getting, you can get that information on your drive to work when you Mm -hmm. work out or whatever. And so, What's Anyways. the what's the thing that um, Ziegler says about uh, um, driving in your car and listening to audio tapes? Yeah, it's like a, <laughs> it's it's like the equivalent of a university. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, if you're if you're spending any amounts of time in your vehicle and you're listening to music and you're not listening to a podcast or you know a lecture or something like that, you're missing out. So what is one of your favorite podcast episodes if we're going to that you listen to repeatedly for the season or just in general, just in general on a, like a non dealer talk podcast. What's a recommendation of one uh, episode? Huh? One episode. I don't know. I mean, my favorite podcast is um, the DPB, the dealer playbook with Michael Cirillo. Love it. I can, I just, probably my the one that i'm it's hard to pick one because he's been on for so many seasons that it's just you know like when you think you have a favorite one it's like i've listened to the gary v one multiple times and that was Mm -hmm. one of his early ones um i really liked that episode because i think it's very relevant even today to where we are in the industry and that was a short one i think that was a 15 minute or 20 minute one but it's totally worth the um, the listen, but right now the one I'm listening to over and over again is one he did recently with Brian Pash. Mm-hmm. I really like that episode, and it kind of ties into what we're going to talk today with our guest um, closing the show out with uh, um, GA4, right? So, um, but yeah, that's one that I listen to all the time. So hmm. I highly, highly suggest. I mean, I don't think anybody that's serious about the automotive space at this point that doesn't know about the dealer playbook i just can't there's no way it's it's such a good podcast so hmm. you um <clears throat> it's not a, an automotive podcast but i use it in my whenever i hire somebody i have them listen to it it's the hidden brain but it's a specific episode it's called the influence you have it's it's unreal 
it just talks about how you're more afraid of the no than the other person is and that you'll go out of your way to avoid asking the questions because you think that they're going to say no more often than they actually do. Yeah. Well, I think I've said this on the show before. I know I've told you this story, but I used to do this competition of um, get a lot of no's. Mm -hmm. Right. So I would have contest of whoever got the most no in a month. I would give them, I would spiff them. You know what I mean? Because a no, you have to celebrate it. Right. If I think a lot of managers and decision makers treat, they instill fear in a no. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, a mistake. You want to encourage people to get comfortable getting that rejection because once they break that barrier and they're comfortable with the rejection, everything changes for them. And not just in, in this in, or in another, you know, automotive or any industry or salesmanship or whatever, but in life. Mm -hmm. For sure. I mean? Oh, yeah. So, 100%. Anyways, a couple announcements here, and we'll 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 get into it. So, um, spoiler alert: as I just said earlier, we are going to be closing out the season with a topic that I think is super relevant in the industry right now. And that's going to be GA four, and we have our good friend Mr. George Nini on to um, to talk. This is a previously recorded episode, but we wanted to leave this one here for the for the very last season. So, hope everybody enjoys it. Very last episode. Of, well, Not very. You said very last season. <laughs> Not last season. I did? Uh -huh. Oh man, there's my subconscious. Hmm. Shh, don't say that out loud. Let's <laughs> speak um, that into the universe. So, so, so a couple of things. So, so there's, so there's that episode with 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 George Nini that we're going to be closing out season seven with. All about GA four. We're going to be talking about that one. Also, Charity and I are working on a GA four. Um, modules that we're going to be putting on our website on uh, dealertalk.io and there'll be uh, several modules in there of things that we are how we are using it um, and you guys can go in there and check those out they'll, we're going to start posting those here pretty soon probably in the next couple of months as um, you know we get closer to july which is the the cutoff point for for uh, um universal so be on the lookout for that and then we are jumping right into season eight with a very special season we've partnered up with the niada and we're going to be recording episodes completely about that side of the industry and we're really really excited about this one mm -hmm. um to kind of uh explore two things one is explore that side of the industry that i think um you know it's something that we are not that familiar with, number one. Number two, um, there, there's always lessons, right, that we can learn and apply to um, just in general in this in the space. I mean, look at that episode we had with... Uh, um, Paul Sansone. Paul Sansone, yeah. Mm -hmm. Junior. You got to say junior. <laughs> um, and, right. you know... The, Def definitely some lessons there for sure. I, I, I've had a couple of uh, uh, people reach out to me about that specific episode and trying to get in touch with Paul and, and you know people that are that are franchise dealers that really liked 
um, the information and what he's doing. And, and so hopefully there's some nuggets there that everybody can pick up in the season. And then at the same time, um, you know, I don't know what the, what the future is, as if, you know, I, what I, you know, and I'll, I, I don't think I've shared this with, with charity or anybody publicly yet, but I, um, I don't know if I'll, I'll, I personally will keep doing it, you know, like consistently. Um, so maybe we'll, what, what we'll do is we'll, we'll merge this into maybe charity will take it over and I'll do a couple episodes or so moving forward. I, I don't know. We'll see. Like, I know after season eight, we're going to take a, a pretty long break and we're going to figure out what kind of what the future holds. But, um, yeah, we thanks are going for to... just dropping that one on me right now. <laughs> Appreciate that. <laughs> so, um, but I think charity has done a really good job here at the show and, you know, it'd be nice to kind of pass that, pass that on, but we'll see. I mean, nothing, you know, I know that we're going to jump right into season eight with the, with the NI. N I A D A season, and then we're we're gonna be taking a long break to kind of figure out what the next the next iteration of the show is gonna look like. But um, for me personally, it's this has been an amazing project, something that I've had a lot of fun doing, um, and I want to continue to do it in some variation. But we'll see. I just I appreciate everybody that's been tuning in for for the past uh, seven seasons. Going, you know, into you sound eight. like you're you're you sound like you're stepping down right now, right? No, now. I'm just saying, like <laughs> you know, there's going to be a change for sure after season eight, but we I don't know what that's going to look like. So, um, and then, um, what else? And then we got we got a couple things coming on that are cooking that we're going to be sharing with everybody. Hopefully this. Well, I know this year for sure, but um, we want to make sure that when we we bring these things up, that they're fully cooked and ready to roll. So, um, you know, we'll have some more some more uh, releases, if you will, mm -hmm. this this season or this year. Excuse me. So, one of them charity being any additions. <clears throat> I was going to say one of them being more to do with. Philicart. Yes, for sure. Philicart has been amazing. We had mm -hmm. um, the first one was was incredible. We we were able to help out some pretty amazing people. There's one. I mean, we're we're dropping some some shorts and things like that to kind of share with everybody. Um, but there there were some pretty um, humbling. Yeah, experiences and some pretty uh impactful stories and i'm excited to share with everybody i want to thank again covidio and run my lease for for their support and um anybody else any other of our partners or anybody listening to this if you're a, a dealership and you want to participate in this event with us this year get in touch with us um you know you can um, reach out to me directly on LinkedIn. Um, all, all our contact information is in the show notes, so you can go there. You can go to our website, dealertalk.io, and, and uh, go to the Philicart page, and uh, you know you can reach out, uh, reach out, uh, reach or connect with us there. Excuse me. For so. anybody who doesn't know what Philicart is, um, it is our endeavor to 
end hunger wherever we see it by filling carts of food for people in need. Yes, and um, we so we did this one in in, uh, in Thanksgiving, but it, we go beyond that. Like um, everybody that we were able to help this um, in th this first uh, year of doing this, we bought like two or three weeks worth of groceries. Mm -hmm. There was some. There was one in particular that I that really kind of hit me, you know, pretty hard. And it's a lady that had um, two tumors and she had had brain surgery and it was just her and her three daughters. Um, and uh, we were able to, to help her out and we I think we bought her like a month worth of groceries. So um, everything helps and being able to to, to, to be there for them in that moment was was pretty humbling and um, it just makes me want to do more right and be able to help out more people so we will if you want to if you want to collaborate with us and get on with us on that on that um, effort please hit us up let help us to help more people okay. all right it's a fun packed last episode of season seven. <laughs> All right, so um, let's jump into some automotive news. Automotive news for today. So, first of all, if I switch to a different tab, can you still see me? Yes. Okay. You know, the camera is not on the tabs. Just FYI. <laughs> Maybe the camera pauses when you go to a different oh. tab. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Stop. Oh, did you switch tabs? I did. I can still see you. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> All right. Edmunds, rising auto loan interest rates drive the monthly average payment to over a thousand a month or more. Um, a, well, a gr let me, let me restate. Wait, what kind a of greater... cars are these people buying, man? I know, right? Uh, well, mine is pretty up there too. It's not a thousand. Okay. Yeah. Okay. A greater share of consumers are committing to monthly payments of a thousand or more. They're committing. Um, yes. But that's not because of, in my opinion, that's not because of interest rates or anything. That's because they have cash and they're, they're spending it. Okay. That's, I mean, the next thing is consumers are putting more money down on their purchase to offset rising costs. Average down payment for new new and used vehicles hit record highs in Q4, climbing to 6,780, um, and 3,921 respectively. My brain was trying to figure out what the respectively was for. And the average interest rate has risen to 6.5%, um, which, wait, hang on, let me read that whole sentence. The average annual percentage rate on new finance vehicles climbed to 6.5% in Q4, um, compared to 5.7 in Q3 and 4.1 in Q4 of 21. 
the APR used financed vehicle, unused financed vehicles climbed to 10% in Q4 compared to 9% and 7.4%. Which makes me think of, was it the Chris Martinez who was like, listen, if you have, if you've been in the industry at all, you know that double digit interest rates is not a new concept. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. My dog's like wreaking havoc over here. So if you see me like, no, um, did you see the blooper reel that I, I sent you I did. <laughs> where I'm scolding mine? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So let's talk about that for a second. Yes. So here's the deal. Like I, and I, and I state, I say, I, I'll, I'll state what I've already stated before, but number one, it comes down to education, right? The salesperson mm -hmm. needs to overcome that. If the salesperson is scared of the interest rate situation, then they're going to project that onto the customer who's already scared mm -hmm. and they're going to perpetuate that situation. Absolutely. The, the thing is this. If you th really think about it, it's not that much money difference, man. Like we're talking about, unless you're buying like a hundred plus thousand dollar car. And if you are, you don't give a shit about the interest rates anyway. I'm just saying. So the people that this would, that this would quote unquote impact the most are the, the, the low income to mid income folks. And we're talking about 32 to 40,000, I think is the mid range price or something like that. So we're talking about a hundred dollar difference in payment. So really what's the, it's a, it's a conversation that the salesperson needs to have with that, with that, with that buyer. Um, and I know, you know, I, I know what the, what the, uh, what the answer to a lot of people are going to say, well, you know, we lose deals all the time for 20 and $30, but you lost that deal because you wanted to lose that deal. In my opinion, um, there's always ways to find little extra cash. What about insurance? What about if you can talk to the customer about maybe switching their insurance plan? You can find some savings there. What about, um, you know, can you put up and we, we over allow on trades all the time. I get that, but you know, maybe that's something that you can work. Um, what about pricing at your store? Are you still maintaining those really high over a hundred percent, uh, price restrictions, market adjustments, all those things. I mean, we have levers is my point that we can pull to, to kind of offset that a little bit and to Chris Martinez and, and other guests that have said the same thing on the show. This isn't anything new folks. Like we've been in the situation before worse 10, 12% or something like that. Um, in, in some situations or in, in, in previous years, excuse me. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, yes, it's something that is going to pump the brakes a little bit, which is what it's designed to do, but it's not, it's by any means something that's going to stop or prevent us from, you know, having an amazing year. Well, I definitely didn't say it was going to prevent us from having an amazing year. I think that the automotive industry is incredibly good at pivoting um, <laughs> when they need to. Like when everybody's getting paid on commission, you learn really quick how to <laughs> pivot. <laughs> well, but I mean, you know, you gotta you 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 got you do what you gotta do. Right. Exactly. Do you have one? 
Um, no, you know, I didn't prepare any news. I wanted to, for me, what I wanted to do is do a highlight, really talk about maybe some of the three or four of the bigger um, situations that we went into in 2022, just kind of a, a okay. recap. Uh, so number one on the list for me um, was EVs, obviously big topic of, of of the podcast, of the show. Um, and it's interesting. It was like, <laughs> it's funny how the perspective has shifted so much. When we started mm -hmm. the show, EVs were like the thing. It was, you know, like it was for sure something that was hyper-focused um, not just from the industry side of things, but the consumer side of things as well. I mean, Tesla was selling cars like hotcakes. Now you're taking, you know, $10,000 losses on them. Um, people are not as the consumer doesn't seem as excited about EV as they were, you know, just a couple of months ago. Um, and then we have some, you know, some external factors impacting that too, like, uh, reduction in gas prices, um, some alternative, alternative technology, if I do say so on here, like with Toyota, I know that that's been something that's been super hyper speculated, but their hydrogen, um, uh, technology is becoming more and more, or it's looking to become more and more, um, possible. And if it does, will that render EV technology obsolete because let's face it. I mean, if you can, if you can have, if you can run your car on, you know, on hydrogen or if you can have a, a, a water type, uh, sort of a, sort of an engine, uh, you know, that works, that functions. I don't know, man. Like, well, it, and then, I mean, then that goes back to the shortages in lithium. Right. And it, I mean, is that, mm -hmm. I was going to say, is that, is that truly better uh, for emissions? Because we talk about that on the EV side. And yeah, once you have the car, there's reductions, but there's still a lot of uh, damage and pollution that goes in getting those batteries and, you know, making that car function. And then all this talk about um, getting everybody 100% uh, EV by 2030 and the infrastructure that that would cost. And I just the and the pushback that that's starting to get to right well but i said it in the in the beginning when 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 this was super super hot and it was on everybody's uh, mind and you know there was regulation and all this stuff was happening it's like it's one thing to say it and there's another thing to actually achieve that and what are we going to learn in the process right of getting there that mm -hmm. might render this whole thing not viable anymore so so that's one one of the <clears throat> Go ahead. No, no, go. Were you, you were going to say something. One of the other things that I was just reading before we started recording was um, about the different laws that different states have for vehicle automation. I mean, I hadn't even thought about that. I, it never even occurred to me that, like, at laws, of course the states are going to have laws on whether or not you have to be behind the seat of your car while it's moving. Um, <clears throat> but then the other one was that the insurance obligations dependent on the state and some of the different states, your automotive insurance, if you have an a autonomous vehicle, they're like a million dollar 
or $5 million. It says, um, Oklahoma requires $1 million and California and Tennessee require $5 million in insurance coverage on autonomous vehicles. I was like, well, I hadn't thought of that aspect of the whole thing. Like we're so, so gung-ho on all of these new technologies. Um, but there's so many peripheral um, things that we don't look at. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. The other one that, that um, obviously is becoming more and more um, news, if you will, now is just a um, new car inventory situation. And that's an interesting one because um, we are starting to see more new inventory come back. Uh, we are starting to see that, um, you know, obviously the impact on used car valuation. Um, and I don't know, I hate the word normalizing because I don't think that we're, that I think that we are forever changed and that we're not, the new normal still hasn't been defined. Um, but it's interesting to see that, you know, in, you know, in a window, in a year worth, worth of time, all the influx in the industry when it came to that. Mm -hmm. Lots of shortages, lots of um, challenges for a, lot of, for a lot of dealerships, depending on their market and depending on their risk tolerance and things of that nature. Um, and now we're starting to see some, some inventory influx but it's not moving as fast. Mm -hmm. And so even with a decrease in, in inventory size, like they'll say that we never get back to those levels. I still think that manufacturers are going to be pushed to offer some incentives. And so what is that going to do to, if that becomes reality, will, will that push them to, well, if we're, if we still have to incentivize these cars to move, do we have to go back to, you know, just jamming just inventory down, man, you know, dealerships throats? I hope not. Um, and I know it's, <laughs> it's still, it's a very premature statement, but you know, and obviously consumers are, there's the consumer confidence index isn't at its peak. So it's not like you have a lot of customers that are, it's not that you don't have customers that are willing to buy is that customers are looking for deals. And I think that dealers are exacerbating the slowdown by not adjusting their price and keeping those market adjustments in place. And so I don't know. Time will tell. It's a very, it's a very interesting situation. Um, my fear is that my fear is that the longer inventory sits, it's going to push manufacturers to bring back some very high incentives, which we're already seeing on some manufacturers. And um, if they're back in that situation where they don't see um, an increase in profitability, they're going to be forced to go back to the old potentially. I don't know. You know, like um, those are just thoughts that I have when it comes to that situation. Um, Another one, obviously, Carvana was a big one this year. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny because by now Carvana should have gone out of business like five times, and they're still not. Yeah. And so we talked about that in a, in an episode. Um, I think 
I think it was like four episodes ago or so, but um, it's a very interesting situation. It's it, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Um, I'm not even going to. There, there could just be a lot of speculation. I'll, I'll, I'll restate what I said in that episode when, when you asked me the question. They have options. You know, at least three or four that I can think of, and you can listen back to that episode for those. But they have alternatives. They have options. Um, I think one of the smartest and, and dumbest things they did was the acquire Odessa. Um, it's very smart from a logistical standpoint, super bad for their, for their books. Um, but they have some alternatives. And so I, I don't, I think that, um, I think it's not going to be as easy as people thought, right? I mean, there was a bunch of posts on LinkedIn recently about like, basically just, you know, like Carvana is about to go out of business. This is what we could learn from that whole situation. And I think it's a little bit more complex than that, but certainly uh, some lessons there. Uh, the biggest one for me is that for all this talk about the, the customer wanting to have a no in-store experience, I, I don't buy it. I just don't buy it. If, the, yeah. if, we, if that were the case, they would have grown at a, we would have woken up during COVID at some point uh, in its worst uh, state and Carvana would represent 30 to 40, if not 50% of our business. And it's mm -hmm. just, that's not the case. I think that customers, I think that a lot of people in the space, like people that are in the industry, talk a lot about the value of of a end-to-end um, -end transaction without with no dealer interaction because they're in the business. They're in the business and they buy cars that way. So they think that the consumer has that same experience and they just don't. Right. You know what I mean? And we want to say like I personally, and I've said this on the show multiple times, I buy the car, I buy a car now. It takes me literally 10 minutes via text message. I tell, I send the picture of the car that I want. If it's a dealership that I've bought a car from already, they have my information. I just reconfirm everything. And then I go and I sign papers and I leave. And it's a great experience. No questions, hands down. I wouldn't want to buy a car any other way. But the average consumer doesn't do that. You know what I mean? One of the things that ever since we did the, the A to Z sync episode, um, one of the things I've been thinking about that a lot, just the one person whole way through. I think that that's the way it's going to go. I, I think that that's the, that's the best experience for the customer. And if we go off of your experience or my experiences purchasing cars, that's what we do. Like I just go to my finance guy and I'm like, Hey, this is what I want to buy. Do it for me. I don't talk to anybody else. I just go to the guy at the end of the, at the end of the, the, the funnel and deal with him directly. And it makes everything easier. And I think that instead of it being this end to end, um, online experience, that it'll be an end to end one person experience. I think that that's ideal. Yeah, no, no, for sure. So 
Um, so those are those are two in one, really, Carvana and digital mm -hmm. retailing. But they kind of go hand in hand. But those were two 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 big topics this year. But I do think that if Carvana had done it right and they hadn't had all of the mess ups and all of the issues and all of the suspiciousness around them that they could have pivoted. Now, I don't think I don't think it's right. even that, Charity. I don't think you cannot do what they attempted to do cleanly. It's just there's too many different laws in different states. Um, there's there, how, how can, they're giving valuations for cars that they've never seen touched. You know what I mean? It's very mm -hmm. easy for them to buy a car and that car not have, you know, have title issues. And then how do you resell that car? I mean, there's just, it would have the infrastructure with DMVs and all that stuff on a national level would need to be so spot on that there's just no way um, you know what I mean? And then, and then they're, they're kind of like the nail in the coffin is they went crazy and they started buying these cars, you know, trying to capture as much market share as they could by buying all this used inventory at really elevated prices that when prices start to come down, they're going to feel it the most, but look, they're still kicking. I haven't seen a, you know, bankruptcy, um, issuing yet. So mm -hmm. Um, we'll see. We'll see. Time will tell. Um, you know. Either way, I mean, it's gonna be. It's gonna be an interesting ride to see how that plays out. But again, mm -hmm. I I stick to it. I don't think that that the customers. Um, I think it's the future, and I think more and more will happen. But I think it's gonna take a lot longer time than you know. Um, than a lot of these people are predicting or, or wanting to push customers to have a no touch um, experience. So anyway, so those are my four, my four top ones. Oh, those are? That I kind of wanted to, to, to recap here. Do you have anything okay. else? No, I was gonna say, speaking of the future, GA4. Yeah, so no blog post for this one either, folks. We are going to um, just uh, dive into the episode here. So mm -hmm. without further ado, let's get into it. And I hope you guys get a lot of information from this one. I know you will. Take some notes and um, get ready. This is going to be an amazing transformation. Here's, I'm just going to say one thing about GA4 before we get into, before we bring on George and, and have that conversation. The one thing that you, and there's, I know there's, it's a mess. It's not that it's a mess. It looks different than what you're used to. And you're going to have to get accustomed to that. No question. But what you're going to be able to do really, 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 really well with GA4, which has me super excited is you're going to be able to see the differentiation in traffic. What's generating you traffic organically. What's generating you traffic on a paid level and see the impact of both. So um, that's, I'm super excited about that and you should be too, and you should be learning about this. It's here, it's coming and you got to be prepared. So without further ado, let's introduce our very good friend, Mr. George Nini, and thank you everybody for tuning in during this, uh, this season. And we'll see you all very, very soon. <laughs> Thank you.
Now more than ever, businesses need more efficient sales. That's why thousands of dealerships trust Four Eyes to help with things like automated inventory email updates and ensuring all of your leads get into the CRM. To try Four Eyes for free, visit foureyes.io slash dealer talk. That's foureyes.io slash dealer talk. Jeannie, welcome, man. How you doing? Doing great. How are you guys? And we're doing, doing well. Awesome. So um, we kick things off here with an intro. So tell us about you. So uh, I uh, got started in the car business in 93. Um, two of my older brothers did a startup in 89 called Dealer Specialties, which most, most people in automotive know that name, know that company. They... Um, they came up with that concept and they refined it and began franchising it in 92. I joined in 93 and from 94 to 2000, we covered the country with dealer specialty franchisees. They sold that business in January of 2000 to Trader Publishing. That was a partnership between Cox and Landmark. Uh, they retired. I stayed on. Uh, Trader began to make acquisitions in DMS, CRM, digital marketing websites. And uh, I was fortunate enough to, uh, enough to run those businesses. I run a number of those businesses until 2017 when I left to start um, Generations Digital. So what we do is offer um, very intense reporting and uh, consulting for dealers around digital marketing. We don't uh, resell anything. We don't we don't sell any services. We're not an agency, um, but we uh, we help dealers figure out you know what's working and what what uh, what's not. Yeah, that's exactly what we do here, right? We don't sell digital so marketing. Like, yeah. we, we inspect yeah. it. Yeah, so mm -hmm. very cool. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm very excited to talk to you. Obviously, the big the the big topic, um, you know, that we wanted to cover with you is uh, GA4. You you wrote a book that both Cherry and I have bought and read multiple mm -hmm. times. Good, thank you. And we, we, yeah, we really really like it. I love that you made that information accessible to us early on, so we can really because it is. If you haven't been in GA, first of all, if you haven't set up your GA4, you're already late. Second. If you're not in there right now, and I suspect that it's going to evolve and change some more between now and June or July, I think of next year. But if you're not in there now, you're going to find you're going to be shocked because it is completely different than what we're accustomed to seeing right now in the in the current view. So how about we start with that question, like 50,000, George, what is the biggest change with with GA4 in relationship to what we currently have now? Sure. it's uh, It moves. I'd say the biggest changes are probably two changes. One, it moves from a page-based measurement to event-based. So as opposed to everything being all about clicks and pages, which is really where measurement was 15 years ago or so, uh, it's all event-based. And those events are, uh, as you know, triggers that are fired on the on the site. Uh, either internally from the website or from third-party uh, uh, plug-in tools. So that's the first big change. Uh, the other big change is the way that it deals with users versus sessions. And so for all of our for all of our popular dimensions that we used in Google Analytics, things like source medium, default channel grouping, those sort of things, there's two flavors of those now. There's going to be one that's going to be based on users and one based on sessions. And the way you tell the difference is you'll have um, first user source medium and then session source medium. So when you see first user as the prefix, you know that it's dealing with users. And then if you see session, of course, then it's dealing with sessions or traffic. Both are both are meaningful and interesting. You know, the user helps answer the question in terms of 
who first bought, brought the user to the site, how often do they return, and did they convert? And then the sessions are more about uh, you know, pure volume of of, uh, of traffic from sources. Yeah, and and I, I and it's a it's a significant departure on the event based side of it, in my opinion, because from a marketing standpoint, and obviously, you know, I'd love to get your your take on this, but from a marketing standpoint, the trap that we have right now is that we unless you're digging deep and you're going to secondary mm -hmm. dimensions with a lot of companies do not do right. They always right. talk about the, the source medium page. This is how many users, this is your bounce rate. This, these are your goals for the most right. part. Those are the conversations that you have, um, from an event base. If, and I've said this before, but if marketing is the message, then what we should be analyzing is the answer to that message. And the way to do that, in my opinion, is through events. That's why you want to set up events, even if you if you have if you didn't, you want to set up your goals, but you also want to have events created within your within the current platform that you have right now because it tells you it just gives you a better picture of what the customer is doing. It's not enough to say, "Hey, I got a customer to the website." No, it's what did they do once they got there? What buttons did they click? How many pictures did they look at? Did they submit a form? Did they call? Mm -hmm. Did they spend an, an amount of time here? Did they go to four or five different pages or just leave immediately? How impactful? How important is bounce rate? Because that's that was a big conversation. Maybe not so much now, but in the past, it used to be this: "Oh, you got this huge bounce rate." Well, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Depends on how you're marketing. If you're marketing direct to VDP and your bounce rate is high, you know that's not a bad thing. So I don't know. What are your thoughts? Are, are you are you do you like the event uh, based setup better? Do you think that there's benefits to both? What, what's your take? Yeah, I think it, it, it's just, it's more accurate. So so there were limitations in Google Analytics Universal, the one we use now. For instance, it will only record one goal variety per session. So if I go in and, and look at five VDPs in a session, and I have uh, VDPs as a goal that records one goal, even though I looked at five. So VDPs are always underreported in today's model. Mm -hmm. With GA4, they'll be more accurate, right? Because you can have multiple events of the same fire you know, in the session. It doesn't really matter. So so dealers will see that. They'll see that 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 uh, the way it compares, they would see a natural lift in VDPs. And so, yeah, so I, I like the approach better. Um, you know, just, I think it just gives you more more opportunity for for richness, uh, and even you know th there's there's uh, parameters passed through the events. Um, one you know, one particular company that, that seems to have a really good handle on that is Dealer Inspire. Um, I met I've, I've met with most website companies or um, all website companies and probably most plug-in vendors, chat, trade, uh, digital retailing, to see what their events look like and how they're rolling those out for GA4. And Dealer Inspire had a pretty nice approach where they're passing vehicle information through as parameters in the event, which is which is smart, right? That allows you to create custom dimensions in GA4 around use versus certified versus new, you know, VDP views or whatever you're trying to measure. So you'll be able to you'll be able to pivot based on on the vehicle data. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm excited. My biggest my biggest thing is just the the. It's going to be, in my opinion, I think it's going to be really hard to get to have these because, you you know, now you're you're in the groove, right, with with the current views and all mm -hmm. for the most yes. part, yep. all the all the the this decision makers are used to seeing it and having those conversations from the view right now. And and, and it is significantly different. It's going to be a, it's I think it's for me, it was a little shocking when I went in there the first time I was like, oh, man, this is like. 
And also I feel like, and I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think that there's some stuff that they're going to do, but they haven't done yet. It feels that, like that to me. Like there's some stuff in GA4 that isn't, I don't know, functioning properly yet, or they're going, or they're going to make some additions because it, it, it feels like there's some, some stuff missing in there. I don't know. That's just my take. Yeah, we'll see. I suspect, I mean, I suspect they'll probably add views. So views are not in there. You know, the, the classic Google analytics hierarchy is, is always, you know, account level, then property and then view. And then GA4, there's no views. It just stops the property level. That creates a little bit of a challenge for you know, large dealer groups who want to allow, you know, a third party to have their own view in Google analytics. Now they're going to have to give them access to the direct property. So I think you're going to see a lot more agencies not get editor access and get read only access because folks are afraid that they'll mm -hmm. accidentally you know, turn off a conversion. I mean, there's a lot of you know, easy damage you could do um, if you had if you had access and didn't understand. Uh, so that'll I bet your views will probably be something that rolls out, and there'll probably be some other functions. There are a number of things missing that are in the current universal, but it also makes it for much simpler menus. Uh, it's a mm -hmm. lot less busy to, to navigate through. And honestly, for for you all, for any listener who who wants to get into GA4 and wants to just try to figure things out and and um, play around a bit, go into the report snapshot. So go into reports and, and click on the report snapshot and then just spend 15 or 20 minutes staring at the screen, reading what's in front of you. And it will give you little clues and say, you know, if you want to answer this type of question, here's the type of you know, answer that you'd get. And when you click on that, you actually deep link into one of those report sub menus, which again, some of them will be about users, some of them will be about sessions. And as you Getting your head around that users versus sessions will allow you to navigate through the report snapshot and kind of say, all right, I'm kind of getting it now. I, I, see, I see why I would go to one area to answer one kind of question and then another area to get a different kind of question. And so that's the, that, that, and honestly, that's, that's the way I really approached it. You know, I, I, um, I really immersed in the tool for a number of months, obviously, and wrote the book um, based on you know, uh, that experience and looking at lots of videos and, and uh, seeing our dealers and also transitioning all of our dealers over to the new system, you know, it, uh, it's almost like osmosis. The more you do that, the more you'll be mm -hmm. like, okay, I, I know how to ask the system questions. Right. So one thing that, that, and kind of, you know, maybe as a safeguard for current, uh, for the current setup, what would you say is the one thing that dealers should do with the historical data? that they have available because once, you know, they're going to, my understanding is after a certain point, they're going to actually remove it. You won't even be able to access it. Right? right. So should we be downloading at least a couple of years worth of information? Is it going to not make any difference anyway? So we don't have to worry about that. Like, what would you say to those that are concerned about the, that aspect or who are measuring year over year or using historicals to, to, to track their, their progress or performance? Yeah, we'll um, and, and I'll probably come up with some kind of instructional PDF that I'll share through LinkedIn. But but um, yes, we'll, we'll we'll archive data for dealers, you know, next uh, spring and summer. And really, I mean, uh, offhand, maybe there's a number of different reports you'd want to do. But but at the very least, I would I would run a source medium report for the, for the last 24 months, maybe 25 months to catch an extra comparison. I like 25 months because when you look at October, you're able to get three Octobers. So mm. look at the trailing yeah, like 25 months open up all your rows uh, to the maximum rows, 500 rows, because it's only going to export the number of rows you have. And then and then open up a secondary dimension for campaign. So now I've got source medium campaign. You know, I've got all my fields. I mean, I use custom reports. So if you use custom reports, you can control those fields, session duration, pages per session. And then yes, export that out. And if you need to do batches, you could always do you know, each year as a batch. 
and then probably put that into Google Sheets. And then at some point you could import that. You know, we use a lot of Data Studio, uh, Looker Studio now through Google. And so uh, you could you could import that into Looker and have that be a, a good reference point. Um, again, some some stuff will compare. I mean, when we're, we're, we're matching out our dealers today and their organic search numbers in GA4 match their organic search numbers in Universal. So some stuff does match, some other stuff does not because they, they introduce some new channels uh, into the mix. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's definitely that's that's critical. That's why I wanted to kind of pick your brain on on some strategies there because, um, you know, once that data goes away, man, like you're you'll be blind. You won't you won't know if you're not if you're not storing that anywhere. You won't be able to compare um, right. track, right? Yeah, for um, sure. I think they've said six months. They would keep it on for six months, right? And then it would fall off. But uh, you know, it's it's. Um, you know, I don't know how, how useful it'll be, but but it's a small amount of effort, and you'd hate to you know, miss that for uh, mm -hmm. you know, for some yeah, future use. Yeah, for sure. You can't get it back at all. <laughs> that's right. So let's talk about let's talk about third parties, right? Because that's a big one for me. Um, first of all, I hate, and I've said this on on the program several times. I hate that we have all these different widgets on our websites. Like to me, it's just. It drives me insane. We should just have one. Right now, you have everything in one button. You can you can add like a an autofy or a um, what's what's the other one like a, a web buy Roadster, or some of these other ones. Autofy, yeah. right. Roadster that do everything one button. You can just call it buy now and it'll calculate your payment. You can check the value of your car. Like it does everything that you want to do in one experience. So. Um, but you know the fact is that we are a FOMO um, industry. We just you know it's just that's just the way that 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 we are. Like if we don't have gajillion widgets on our website, we feel like we're gonna miss that lead or we're gonna miss that sale. So what what would you say? How do we? How can we safeguard? Or that's probably not the right word. But how can we prepare to track better this time around? How can we make sure that we're, if we're going to have all these different widgets on our websites, how can we track that they're actually working, that they're worth the money that we're spending on them every single month? Yeah, we, I mean, um, you know, we like, we like uh, plug-in widgets where they, where they convert at a reasonable number. And so, you know, if it's, if it's a trade tool, a trade pending or a roadster or autofy um, digital retailing tool, you know, we want to track both when that tool is, is engaged. We also want to track when they get PII, personal information from the tool. And so like, for instance, for trade pending, that's that's uh, the snap tool. And I think it's submit when there's an event action uh, that says submit and the information has been submitted, right? So we want to track that. We know nationally what that number looks like when we divide uh, those those submits divided by sessions. We know that that might be you know, 0.5 to 0.6% of a, of a conversion point, right? But if we, we see a digital retailing tool that's not hitting that that goal, then we would know that um, you know, perhaps it's not a good customer experience. The other piece, of course, is does the showroom experience match the online experience? So if I spend mm -hmm. a half hour online and get pre-approved and jump through all these hoops and then show up at the dealership and have this piece of paper and they say, oh, George, honestly, you know, it's going to be a lot faster if you just give me your driver's license and we'll just get you in the system. You know, I say to myself, I've wasted my time. You know, they didn't pull up my record. They didn't, they didn't pick up my deal uh, midway through. And so it's a, it's a disconnect. Yeah, no, for sure, man. I, it, that's just one of those things that 
um, and you said it right now, like your your digital experience should match your in-person experience. But man, some of these websites oh, yeah. I go to sometimes, I, I just want to, it's like so much. Like I'm that like, one wow. I showed you this morning. Yeah, and now and now we're there putting was, things on the SRP, like like six different CTAs yeah. on that one. Well, that's so one to measure. That's an easy one to measure. I mean, you get these dealers that put put calls to action on the SRP. I mean, conversions on SRP happen rarely. I mean, people will tell you tell you different, but when you measure it, you know they they convert off VDPs, and it makes sense. I mean, some some SRPs are are high functioning. I mean, I think maybe it's dealer reprocess, or there's others that will have some very high functioning SRPs that may give mm -hmm. you that almost mini VDP experience. But by and large, you know, the SRP's goal is to get you to click deep to a to a VDP and then to uh, you know, eventually, eventually convert. So look at the look at the pages that are converting. It's an easy report to run in GA Universal. Just go into goals, you know, conversions, and then goal URLs, and then just choose your goal. You'll see exactly what page it's happening on. Yeah, I mean, it it, it just makes sense. Otherwise, just don't have a VDP. Just get rid of the VDP altogether and just you know have an SRP. Why why have a VDP if you're you but like I, I don't know I don't get it. It's just, it's just like, dude, you're, you just, I just want you to see the photo and the price so that you can click and get more information. That's the path. Right. And now yeah. if I'm controlling that, that's what I want you to do. I mean, in the end, right. yeah, it, it's, it's Amazon, right? I mean, if I, if I go and look for a collection of products, I get an SRP from Amazon. I don't convert. I don't, I don't put it in my basket from there typically, unless I'm reordering, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, household item, you know, generally mm -hmm. I'm, I'm converting, converting from the VDP. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so let's talk about um, the the. Okay, so you have that. Ex you, 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 things are moving um, fast, if you will, on, on the digital side. I think everything is going now more to the VDP, right? So we every we're trying to drive more VDP traffic. Let's let's mm -hmm. let's put it that way. So we're taking somebody from from we're capturing consumer intent and then we're driving them straight to the car how does that how is that experience going to change now with ga4 because like i mentioned earlier like there was a big push and i still have conversations with some agencies that are like oh yeah your bounce rate here is like 70 percent yeah but i all i do is aia right for example all i'm doing is facebook ads so and I'm driving customers straight to that VDP. So that bounce rate is going to be really high. Um, what is your take on that? Is that still a metric that matters? And, you know, especially in the way that we're marketing today? I mean, um, we, we don't use bounce rate a lot just because it's it can be so easily gamed. Oh, sorry, Chair, I didn't mean to. No, no, you're fine. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> it, it, uh, it, bounce rate just, it can be so easily kind of manipulated, either intentionally or accidentally. Um, you know, we're really look, trying to look at the page depth that, that someone goes through. And, and of course, it, it, it depends on the page you're sending them to. I mean, if you bounce on the home page, it's much different than bouncing on a, on a service scheduling page. Um, but, you know, in GA4, it does away with session duration, pages per session and bounce rate and replaces them with one metric called engage uh, engagement, engage session or engaged users. Um, again, that same thing for users and sessions. And the definition of an engaged uh, session is, one that um, stays for 10 seconds or looks at more than one page or has a conversion goal. Uh, and you can change that 10 second um, number. And so I think it makes it, it simplifies it for, for, for the audience, for dealers. Typically session duration, pages per session, bounce rate always move together in the same direction. So 
you can pick any one metric and they always move together. So, so why not try to simplify the way we measure quality sessions? And so now those columns in a, in a source medium report would be like, you know, sessions, users, engaged sessions, conversions. And so we can really simply see whether, whether that session was engaged or not. What they, they did you... reintroduce bounce rate, by the way. Oh, sorry. If you, if no. you take engagement, you know, one minus the engaged rate, that's now bounce rate. So I guess people cried and complained that they wanted to have bounce rate. So it's just the inversion. <laughs> Of uh, of engagement, so it's kind of silly, but anyway, sorry, Charity. No, that's <laughs> fine. What do you see as being the biggest? <sighs> but the way that you guys are talking about this, like I'm like barely keeping up. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh come on. And that is on a on a dealership level. When you go into a dealership and you're trying to explain all of this information to the people in the buildings that what do you foresee as being the most um the 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 thing that's going to hinder them the most what area of ga4 is going to be the hardest one for dealerships to wrap their brain around what do you think? i don't know but if they use the old system probably just that things look different that all the places mm -hmm. they went to go to go run reports that those don't exist and now they're there's a whole different different world and so it's just, you know, that, that's the biggest thing. I think it's, I think, you know, it's dealers and users of GA4 just have to make a commitment um, and just get into the thing for 30 minutes every two weeks, maybe 30 minutes twice mm -hmm. every, you know, or I'm sorry, uh, two times a week, every, you know, 30 minutes a time or some kind of mm -hmm. cadence, right? You, it's, um, so if you move, if you move your home into a, into a new city and you move into some of these gigantic neighborhoods, you, know, you may even need to use ways the first time home from the office to get to your house because you don't know where you are and it's just there's so mm -hmm. many turns but after two weeks you know you know the neighborhood right you don't even look you don't even pay attention you could be on the phone and you just you know your way and that's the way software is right you just got to commit to that and the more time you do that and over time you'll it'll be osmosis and you'll be like huh i guess i know this better than i thought i did i'm in here all the time i know right where to go for my and again that report snapshot is a great place i think to start to, it sounds silly, but just to wrap your whole head around the new metrics, where am I going to go to get those kind of answers? Um, that'll probably be the biggest one is just it's different and I, I don't really know what, what I should do. You know, installing the code is easy. I mean, all the steps to get started are super easy. You know, dealers mm -hmm. got to make sure that they're not, they're not outsourcing this to their, to their agency or to their, to their website provider. Since, since the website provider, if they say, Hey, look, we're going to convert you automatically to GA4. Don't worry about it, Joe. We got you. They're, they're putting you into their master account, right? So if you leave that website provider, you will start over with GA4. That's a big deal. And the work involved for a dealer to get their own account to set up, get set up is like, you know, eight minutes of time. Right, I mean, we did, we did 200 dealers in two weeks back in May and June. It's really easy. And then you own it and you never have to worry about you know, owning your, owning your, uh, your data. Your information. What, what are some of the major, what are some of the issues that you see with GA4? You know, just um, uh, for instance, segments. You know, if, you, if you're if you're a power user of GA Universal, you use segments a lot. And segments, you know, once you put a segment on a report, it'll stay on there, and you can run all kinds of different slicing and dicing. With GA4, segments don't stay; they don't stick really well. So in most cases, you have to kind of manually create new segments as you go in. That's a little bit of a pain. Um, I'm not sure the real time reporting is always real time. So when you go in to 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 watch events fire or to watch mm -hmm. yourself. To troubleshoot events in the real time, I found it to be a little bit uh, not not really confident building. Those are those are probably a couple of things, candidly, that just don't that seem like they, they still need more work. Mm -hmm. But you know, we we we've 
we use Data Studio, right? So we're, we're, we've already brought all the GA4 data into Data Studio and connected. And you have to connect your Google Ads to GA4, just like you connected Google Ads to Google Analytics. So you need to make sure you have your agency do that connection as well. Mm-hmm. Then once you do, you know, that data flows through into Data Studio. And so you can, that, that I think that can help kind of um, make it a little bit more palatable for people who, um, who are used to digesting Data Studio. When you switch over to GA4, it'll still kind of feel the same. Cause it's all the visualization is still the same. So mm-hmm. so long winded so, answer, lots of, lots of pieces. No. <laughs> so, um, that brings, that brings a, a, a question. I don't know, George, if you, if you know, if you know this answer, but, um, there are a lot of things that connect through, through the Google analytics API with this change. Is that data going to change? Is that, do you need to reconnect? Like, do you know what, what's going to happen to that, to those connections? Yeah. I mean, they would have to just uh, build new connections with those new data streams. Yeah. So it's oh, not, so you do it's have not to... just the new version of Excel. It's a brand new. Yes. Got it. Okay. Wow. And that's why, you know, all the events, all the events that are fired from third parties, like, like, you know, uh, trade tools and digital retailing tools and websites, those all have to be redone too. Right. So that's, that's been the big effort that's been going on. And Brian Pash, uh, and his organization have have uh, gotten a lot of energy around standardization of those events, but all the events that that, that vendors and websites fired for GA Universal have to be redone uh, to be GA4 compatible, and so they've been busy doing that, uh, and they're rolling those out. Um, Remora's got theirs out. Synchro has had theirs out for a couple years. Uh, Trade Pending has all theirs out. Um, so there's a number of of, uh, of widgets and tools that are firing those, and so as soon as those start firing, then, um, you know, convert those over to, to conversions in, in GA4, and then you can start tracking them. Right on. Yeah, man. But on I the didn't, API I didn't... side, I would say absolutely, yes. If you had an API where you were pulling reporting from GA Universal, that would have to just be redone because the fields are, are different. Wow, hmm. okay. That's a big one. Right. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about... Uh, I mean, it's kind of staying with this, but at the same time, expanding a little bit, because it's one of the things that I, I see as an issue within the industry, and that's the access to information and being able to connect the dots, right? I mean, GA only, is only a part of the picture, but there's all these other elements that you need in order to make decisions that really move the needle. Um, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of connectivity within our space. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of pulling from all these different platforms and then integrating them somehow to, you know, the ones that are doing it correctly anyway, to, to, you know, really see what's going on. What is your take with that? How, what, how is, does GA4 offer any, you know, any advantages to, to doing that? Is there, is there, you know, is there a way that we could be doing that better as an industry? What, what's your take? I don't know that it'd be bringing it into GA4. I mean, the only thing you'd, you'd bring in there, I think would be um, your Google ads. You know, you'd connect, connect Google ads. I think through the events, you can pass, you can pass vehicle information and other on-page information from the VDP, for instance, through the event as it fired. Um, but I think in terms of integration and bringing data together, that would be in some sort of, you know, like, like a data studio or like a, um, like a GDS a business intelligence tool. Yeah. Where, where, where you could, uh, you know, bring it all together and have it visually look look good. Like for instance, ours, we not only bring GA and GA4 in, we have an API through Google My Business, Google Business Profile, so we bring all that insights reporting over. You know, so those are those are good applications where you can really uh, 
data studio now called looker studio from google um accepts lots and lots of data inputs from from all kinds of different sources yeah yeah i know some companies that do that and put it together the problem with it from uh internally you're fine but is my, my understanding is that if you're if you build a product you can't sell it right so um you can use it for internal purposes but you know if you're i don't know you know, if, if there's a way to put all your auto trader, all your ads, all your Facebook into one view so you could really, you know, I don't know if GA4 offers anything that's better to, you know, connecting or being able to connect to some of these other ones and doing a one, one connection view yeah, no, or something like that. I would do it in data studio instead of, uh, I don't think there's a mechanic from doing it in GA4, but in Data Studio there is. So for instance, yeah. you could log into the back of AutoTrader, Cars, Car Gurus, and you could log all your VDPs, SRPs, mm -hmm. and put that information into a, um, a Google Sheet and then and then visualize that in Data Studio. So that's the better. That's what we do. So that's just a better right. platform, I think, for bringing all those disparate data sources together. And GA4 mm -hmm. would just be one of those different sources. Very cool. Right on, man. And well, dude, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. This is uh this has been very insightful. We we want to put a link to George's book in the in the show notes to charity, oh, please. Oh yeah, for sure. Is yes, that, please do. Just, if you if you search for my name on Amazon, um, you'll, you'll get to a link to the. You should get to a link to the to the book. I your um your book and I have been to the gym. Probably we spent a gym a month together at the gym. Oh, good. <laughs> Sorry to hear that. It's a Hair little techie. It's, it's, it's probably techie, techie, techie. There was a lot of times where I was reading it and thinking, who comes up with this stuff? <laughs> like, it was just mind blown. And then just really impressed that you were able to articulate it and the form that you, because yeah, I, I run a business development office. And so I have to train anybody knew all the time and, and trying to explain an entire concept is so difficult and you did a really good job. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's uh, I was in the same boat as everybody in, in March when they made the announcement. I was like, Oh my goodness, really? We're going to, we have until next July to switch. And so it was just, you know, we, I, I pouted for a week and then I'm like, all right, I got, you know, there's no, there's no change. One of my other been moved. And so, yeah. Well, I was George, wondering how you reacted when you found out that everything was yeah, changing. <laughs> and if they you, delayed it, I mean, there was somebody who posted on LinkedIn that said, you know, hey, they, maybe they're going to delay it. That would make George mad. No, it would make me super happy. I mean, I'm in, the, I'm in it with everybody else. I have to convert. It's a ton of work, you know. So if they made, if they delayed it by a year, I would, you know, go buy, buy a bottle, ice bottle of wine. <laughs> George, I, I, a question came up as you guys were talking about that that um i didn't think and maybe there is no correlation but is there any correlation to this and and um the announcement of uh cookies um i think to some degree i mean google analytics for kind of one of the taglines is built for a cookie-less world um and it does use it does use artificial intelligence supposedly behind the scenes to to model you know audiences and to and to you know model some of the data um because it can't necessarily um take advantage of cookies as it has in the past, but it's, I mean, that, that's, that's probably a more overarching thing. I mean, I think a uh, signal loss, you know, loss of cookies, iOS 14.5 made it so device IDs couldn't be tracked on iPhones. Right. iOS 15 made it so now they're spoofing our location. So signal loss will continue to get worse before it gets better, probably never get better. 
So dealers always just need to start always thinking about that, like audience. How can I get a unique audience? How can I, how can I attract an audience? How can I build first party data through, mm-hmm. through email collection, through pixeling my site? I mean, you know, I think, I think that that's, uh, that's what I like to get a lot of people thinking about when they're, when they're talking about that, that overarching concept of, of cookies and, and it, what, it being what harder about, to, to determine the t- intent of shoppers. Mm-hmm. What about collecting uh, sign-in information on your website? What the terms and conditions? I mean, you can get them to mean, sign in. I mean, if there's if there's a if there's a good, uh, you're saying getting a consumer to sign in. Yeah, just like they do on Amazon or something like that. Yeah, I mean, if there's something in it for them, I think they would say, "I'm not giving up my my PII." You know, when when you look at you know, we measure this for for hundreds of dealers. When you look at, uh, for instance, Carnal has chat and they have text. That's one of our favorite chat providers. And when you um, when you look at the number of people that click on one of those buttons or both of those buttons and then engage, the number of texts is like you know, 10%, 5%, 1% of the chats. And the reason is because the next question when you hit text is what? First name, last right. name, phone number. Right. Everybody yeah. says, sorry, and no, go to the anonymous no. chat, right? And so that's just, uh, you know, I just think w- w- when you when you do that, you're going to, you, uh, and if you force, there's some, I'm trying to think who, um, there's chat providers out there that force, uh, I think Podium forces first name, last name. Their chat conversion rates are a third of everybody else. It's just the reality of it. it you, you can't get around it. You know, so if you measure those numbers, you, you, you see it. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, that's, that's you know, it, it, I think that that's going to, it's part of the future, right? These companies are going to self-regulate, you know, to a certain degree to keep the governments out, right? So there's a lot of that. And the other portion is, wasn't Google was doing this thing called Google Sandbox, which was supposed to um, allow them to continue to do, to help on the marketing side of things. And then that I've, you know, read articles since that that project was abandoned or whatever, but they do control like 63% browsing share. So what are they going to do? Are they just going to give that control up? I don't, you know, like they have to have a play here, right? Don't you think that there's? Yeah, I think it just. I, I think if I think if 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 an advertiser is is counting on third party cookies and and is bummed out that they're going away, those are probably not the kind of campaigns that a, that a, a, any of our dealers would want to run. We're just. I mean, I think those affect third party cookies affect probably the lowest quality of traffic out there. Just in my opinion, I mean, I, it won't affect any of our customers. Mm-hmm. Third party cookies going away. It's just using alternative means for being able to determine intent of shoppers versus. You know, some some arbitrary third party cookie that says we think this person was on AutoTrader or Cars.com and therefore isn't an auto intender. You know, those campaigns are always a bust, yeah. just for my for my opinion. Right on. Well, there you have it, folks. Um, George, thanks again for doing this, man. We really appreciate it. Um, there is one question that we ask everybody that comes on the show, and that question is: Where do you see the automotive industry headed in the next five years, and why? The entire industry in the next five years. I mean, I think the next five years will be the big question: is is we're building all these electrical vehicles, and will consumers really buy them, or will they start to kind of pile up and the and the automakers pivot because they mismatched you know supply and demand? Um, it's not really a direction of where it goes. I mean, I think that's 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 a that's that's probably uh, if one of the biggest questions, if not the biggest question. But I think for for marketers, I mean, it really goes to that. It, it really goes to that. Um, signal loss kind of kind of future of saying, you know, we, we've got all these challenges. Uh, Facebook campaigns in the last 12 to, to 18 months have gotten less effective because of some of the changes that Apple's made to, to iOS uh, device tracking. 
And so those will continue to be a challenge for, for dealers. I think the most successful dealers will be ones that, that uh, focus on their core, focus on fixed operations, um, focus on first party data and really build up uh, a strong online reputation, build up strong first party data sets, build strong audiences. That's another GA4 capability that's far stronger than universal and really start, start pivoting their marketing um, you know, around that, around their first party data. Right on. There you have it, folks. Well, George, Nini, everybody. Thanks, man, for doing this. We really appreciate you. That's all the time that we have for today. And as usual, we'll talk later. We only host the well-respected. The vendor Lexus Nexus. We don't sell digital marketing. What you do? We inspect it with our DT vendor management. Now more than ever, businesses need more efficient sales. That's why thousands of dealerships trust Four Eyes to help with things like automated inventory email updates and ensuring all of your leads get into the CRM. To try Four Eyes for free, visit foureyes.io slash dealer talk. That's foureyes.io slash dealer talk.